I can't wait for our worship experience this month with our Times Square Church Choir and C.C. Winans in the sanctuary, worshiping God on July 25th. In fact, joining with C.C. Winans and the Times Square Church Choir will be Pastor Marvin Winans, and there may be even a surprise guest. But one of the things that I'm excited for on that night that you're going to hear is I look forward to when we have an opportunity even just to sing the hymns. I, I love the old hymns. In fact, last Sunday when the Times Square Church Choir said they're going to go uh, back in time, old school, and started singing the old hymns, it stirred my heart. Um, they are timeless and, and they reside in the soul. And there are times that I will read hymnals and even the stories behind the songs. And there are times that I need to borrow the songs that a person wrote during a difficult time in their life. There is, there is ministry in songs that come in a sense from the dark. Songs that come from a pain and uh, that, that come from pain come from a different place than simply coming from a studio. They're not written from a studio, but they're written from a valley. They come from tears and not just simply talent. A, a song from talent may get them on the charts, but a song that is born out of tears literally registers and gets on the soul. It, 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 this is one of those songs that have literally become timeless and have resided on my soul in difficult times. I've borrowed the story and the song to get me through some moments. In 1844, a young man was finishing up school, Joseph Scriven in Ireland. He finishes his college education, comes back from university, comes back to the United States to marry his sweetheart. And as he was traveling to meet her, on the day before the wedding, he comes upon a horrible scene. His beautiful fiance was tragically thrown off a horse, fell into a river, and drowned to death. Literally, a day before their wedding. Later, Scriven moved to Canada and eventually fell in love with another godly young lady. And then another devastation took place. Literally, his fiance became ill and died just weeks before their wedding. Twice, this man lost his fiance. Twice. I, I couldn't even imagine that. I, I, I met with someone a few days ago who is still facing the hurdles of losing their fiance a few months before, before their wedding. Can, can you imagine twice going through the pain of that? That, that, that year, he wrote a poem to his mother to describe uh, what, what God was doing in his life and the deep friendship that God was working in his soul. And it was a song on, on how he stayed close to the Lord. And Scriven found a prayer life and intimacy with God through that deep, dark valley. Penned this from pain, wrote this from the valley, and these were the words. Tell me if you've ever heard this poem that turned into a song that we sing as a hymn today. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know the story of the griefs. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And he continued on, oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials? Scriven had his trials and temptations. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then my favorite verse is that final verse. Can we find a friend, hallelujah, so faithful, 
who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Glory to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It was the 19th century great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said these words, is there nothing to sing about today? And then listen to what he challenges us to do. Then borrow a song from yesterday. That's what we just did. And sing it, he said. Is this world dreary to you? Then think of the next world. Borrow someone else's song and make it your own. Spurgeon is speaking about something that I want to talk to you today. Borrowed songs for painful seasons. And, I, and I'm going to borrow someone's song for, for some things that I have faced and, and, and even am facing. What a Friend We Have in Jesus was written 150 years ago. But the song I'm, I've been borrowing recently and the song I want to challenge you to borrow is not 150 years old. It's 1,500 years old and I need it. Here it is. Just, I want you to remember this. The Psalms are songs and that's what we're going to borrow it from. And I believe the Psalms were, get, were songs given to us so that we can borrow them in difficult times. Their Psalms are borrowed songs for painful seasons in our lives. I have a journal. I was just looking at it to this morning. It was a journal that I kept of just, just my prayers and um, the things that were, God was doing in my heart during, during one of the most darkest times, my, my valley time in my life, it, at my time of tears. And it is filled with Psalms. I kept looking over and over and over and I would read and pray through the Psalms. It was, it became a lifeline. It was oxygen for me. I borrowed those 1500 year old songs to, to get me through this season. In fact, when I was looking at it in, in my journal, there are 34 verses, 34. Some of them are, are more than one verse. Some of them have 10, 10 verses attached to it. And of the 34 ver- of the 34 verses that are there that I would read every day, 24, over 70% of them came from this songbook, the Psalms. 24 out of 34 would come from the Psalms because these were written many times out of a valley. These were birthed in tears and pain. And I want to give you a song today that would be good for you to borrow in difficult times or whatever you face in the future. Here is a borrowed song for you to help us through this time. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, because of verse one, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake even with its swelling. And and we'll read the rest of it in just a few moments. But this is going to be an important song, I think, not only for us personally in the coming days, but I think it's going to be a psalm, especially when you read verses one through three. It is going to be a need to be a borrowed song for the church and for the people of God going into the future. It's going to be very important as we get ready to go into some very difficult waters in the next season for us. The mighty Niagara River um, has a 180-foot drop uh, waterfall. You've, you've seen the pictures and have seen it on, on TV. And right before it comes, right on the American side, there's a, they have the Horseshoe Falls. Bef- uh, and above the falls, there are these violent rapids. And just before you get to those violent rapids that will throw anything 
off the side into into the into the um waterfalls there is a bridge for pedestrians and they hang a sign on that bridge that's mounted up there and it literally says this for those that are on a boat do you have an anchor do you know how to use it this is the time and folks i have to tell you i believe psalm 46 is an anchor that protects his people from going over the edge protects his church these words are too powerful as we're going to read through Psalm 46 today. This borrowed song is something so dramatic that something had to have prompted the writer of this psalm. Uh, historians believe that Psalm 46 is a remembrance psalm. This anchor is a remembrance. Psalm 46 is about an intervention, not just um, a general intervention, but a specific intervention by God. And Psalm 46 is connected to a past story. I want to give you just for a few moments the background of Psalm 46, and you're going to see the nuances pop off the page as we look at this, as we borrow this song, so so that becomes an anchor for us. Historians believe that this psalm was remembering, the remembrance psalm, the Assyrian invasion of Judah. Let me, I want to tell you just very briefly the invasion story. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Isaiah is the prophet at that time. And rumors were reaching Jerusalem of this invincible army that is coming their way. They've defeated Israel and now they're setting their eyes on Judah and they're about to come in. King Sennacherib of Assyria is leading a quarter of a mil, almost a quarter of a million men that is considered the greatest military machine and the most most ruthless of warriors. And war seemed unavoidable, defeat inevitable for the children of Israel. And everyone knew out of fear that the Assyrians were merciless toward their victims. Israel was in their possession. Now it's time to conquer the capital city, the city of God, Jerusalem. In fact, it, it looked it looked so outnumbered. Isaiah says these words and describes the situation in Isaiah 1, 8, 9. He says, the daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard. He says, it's like this little tiny hut, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field. He said, like a besieged city. And then he says this, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we'd be like Sodom and be like Gomorrah, which in a sense be obliterated. Defeat for Jerusalem is inevitable. Assyria is about to invade. And then all of a sudden, Hezekiah takes it up higher and says, I can't win this way, but I'm going to have to win this way. And Hezekiah begins to take this whole situation to God in prayer. And in fact, the Bible gives us a glimpse into this prayer time, his prayer and God's response and the answer to prayer. It comes in three quick movements. He takes Sennacherib's letter that says surrender and he takes it before the Lord, walks into a prayer closet, spreads it out and cries out this. This was Hezekiah's prayer to to, to this army that's, that's surrounding his city. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria has devastated the nations and their lands and have now cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's heads, wood and stone. So they have destroyed him. And then he says this, but now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you alone, O Lord, you are God. Therefore, this is what's important. God, This is God's response. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. Here comes God's response. 
Here it comes. He will not come to this city. He won't even shoot an arrow. He's not even going to come up. You're not even going to have to use a shield or throw up a siege or a ramp against it. Think how incredible this is. A, almost a quarter of a million men are outside of your city. And God says, not even an arrow will be shot. You won't even have to use a shield against all of these people. Seriously? That's God's response? After, after all, of, all of this uh, rampage in Israel, and now they're coming to us? And that night, this is awesome. Listen, this is encouraging. That night, God turned history on its head. Here it is. 2 Kings 19.35. This is God keeping his word. Then it happened that night that an angel of the Lord went out, one angel, and struck 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose up early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. One angel took out an entire army. I have to tell you, heaven's army is no joke let alone one angel in one night defeats the, the greatest army of that time. This is incredible. In fact, right now in the British Museum, there is an artifact called Taylor's Prism. Taylor being the man that, that excavated it, it was in a sense this, this uh, stone prism that actually has Sennacherib's notes on it and it's and and was uncovered, and even on that, this incident was written about by Sennacherib. How do you explain the most powerful army in the world can't take little Jerusalem? I'm going to tell you why. Because little Jerusalem, they have a big God. They have the God of Israel, and many scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written to remember Judah's deliverance this night that an angel showed up. In fact, for, for some that don't know, some of the Psalms um, of the 150 Psalms have been attributed to, to King Hezekiah's pen, that he wrote this. This is, Psalm 46, is a good song to borrow. So let's use it for what we are maybe facing right now or going to face, keeping all of this history in mind of surrounded what do we do? Crying out to God in prayer. God showing up in one night and leveling an entire army. Before we go through and, and, and take, this, take this passage and see how powerful this borrowed song will be for our lives, my heart was stirred by a paraphrase translation that I want to read to you. I want to read to you the whole psalm, and then we're going to go through this. Let me read this to you, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all of the, all of the 10 verses, 11 verses, as we go through this. Here it comes. God... Here's the paraphrase. You're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time of trouble. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. So we will never fear even if every structure of support were to crumble away. That's powerful. We will not fear even when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. God has a constantly flowing river whose sparkling streams bring joy and delight to his people. His river flows right through the city of God, most high into his holy dwelling places. 
God is in the midst of his city, secure, never shaken. At daybreak, his help will be seen. This is kind of like that waking up and 185,000 gone. At daybreak, his help will be seen with the appearing of the dawn. When the nations are in uproar with their tottering kingdoms, God simply raises his voice. The earth begins to disintegrate before him. Verse seven says, here he comes, the commander, the mighty Lord of angel armies is on our side. The God of Jacob fights for us. Everyone look, come and see the breathtaking wonders of our God for he brings both ruin and revival. He's the one who makes conflicts and throughout the earth, breaking and burning every weapon of war. He says in verse 10, so surrender your anxiety. I can't wait till we talk about this verse. Surrender your anxiety. Be silent or be quiet and stop striving and see that he is God. I am the God above all nations. I'll be exalted throughout the whole earth. And then he says this, here he stands, the commander, the mighty Lord of angel armies is on our side. The God of Jacob fights for us. Hallelujah. I, 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 as I'm reading this and, and trying to read it each day, three things started to pop out to me. One is this, I can be confident God is always with me. Number two, I can count on God always making a way when there really is no way. And I can be calm because God is always in charge. I had, I read one writer says it like this. We have a refuge, a river, and a ruler. See, when you're in trouble, when you see trouble, when you know you're going into trouble, always remember that I can be confident God is always with me. When I see trouble, I can count on God, always making a way. When I see trouble coming, I can relax and be calm because God is in charge. Let, let's, I, I wanna just take those three things that have been such a comfort for me that this borrowed song, 1500 year old song, man is etched on my soul saying, God, I'm gonna be confident, God, I can count on you. And God, I can be calm in the midst of everything that's going on. So, number one, I, I can be confident God is always with, with me. And, and these are the words, God is our refuge. They, they say, and, the, and because, of, because of verse two, they say Psalm 46 is called by some the earthquake Psalm. Listen to it. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. We will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. I saw a picture that I had to literally just search its history. It was, it, it, it's a picture of a, of a structure of a building standing in the midst of rubble. Frank Lloyd Wright is considered one of the greatest architects of all time. He built what was called the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, Japan in the 1920s. It's, it's considered just literally a landmark work and piece of architect. He put in, listen to this, five columns that was to be the foundation that can withstand any seismic force of an earthquake that no, at a time when Japan was experiencing a number of them. And then when the great earthquake of 1923 came, a 7.9 on the, on the scale leveled a section of Tokyo one building is left standing. It was Wright's Imperial Hotel. You see all around, I saw the picture. All around it is rubble, except this one Imperial Hotel that was built to withstand the shock of an earthquake. The Imperial Hotel is standing among the rubble. I want, I want you to get this, folks. And I believe 
that there is a pillar found in this verse. This is the pillar. God is our refuge. That no matter what happens around us, God goes, everything else can become rubble. But if you put your trust in God as your refuge, you'll be standing no matter what is happening around you. You just need that one pillar. God is your refuge. That's, that's how this whole Psalm begins. When we talk about places of refuge, we think of safe places from trouble. In fact, there is being told and, and in the news that they are right now revamping and rebuilding and, and updating the bunkers that go under even the West Wing at the White House for our president. They said it's to survive any doomsday attack or whether it's nuclear, biological, chemical, cyber, or radiological. They said they are so fortifying this. But I, but I have to just say, I have to say to Washington, D.C. and everyone on the planet, there is no place of ultimate safety on the earth. And there will never be. There's only one place that is safe from everything. And that is God himself. God becomes our refuge. One of the, one, one of the commentators I was reading, Robert Morgan, said when he looked at the word refuge in the Bible, he noticed something very interesting. Because all over the book of Psalms, this word refuge is there. But what he noticed was this that it says something connected to it. The term refuge was used over and over in the book of Psalms, but an image got associated with refuge that changed from one passage to the next. In a sense, the psalmist will use refuge and then will begin to describe what the bunker in really looks like. Let, let me read some of them to you and then I wanna end with my favorite. Psalm 18.2 says, the Lord is my rock. This is David speaking and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. David was saying, when I was being hunted down, God, you gave me a secret place right in the midst of a mountain that I could take refuge in. God opened up a spot that I can go in that Saul missed me. Psalm 18.30, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. David was saying again, my refuge, when I find refuge in God, it becomes a shield that no matter what comes my way from the enemy, God puts up a shield. Psalm 61.3, for you have been a refuge for me. Here it comes, a tower of strength, hallelujah, against my enemy. What he was saying was, when you have a refuge in God, you even get up higher. You get to see things that you couldn't see before and see how things are forming and formulating because God takes you up higher. Psalm 31, 19 through 20, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take, here it comes, refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence. I love this, from the conspiracies of man. What he was saying was, my presence becomes a refuge. That when men start to say things and, and, and bring slander and accusation, he says, those conspiracies find your refuge in my presence. Psalm 57, 1. David says, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And here it comes, in the shadow of your wings. He's not even under it. He says, just to be in proximity I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I love that. That refuge is just to be close enough to the shadow. But here's my favorite, folks. Listen to this, Psalm 59, 16. But as for me, I'm gonna sing of your strength. I shall joyfully sing 
of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and refuge in the day of my distress. This one I love because if you think about it, what he was saying was that my refuge is a stronghold, but in that stronghold, I've got a song that I'm singing. I'm in, it ends with, I'm in the, you are a refuge in the day of my distress. You know what he was saying? That I may feel stress or be distressed, but I could be singing at the same time. That refuge, which is a place of safety from trouble, says you could be singing in the stronghold, joyfully singing in the bunker. That's how secure you are. Let me just say this, because God is a refuge, I can be glad. Because God is a refuge, I can sing. Though times are stressful and distressful, I borrow a song that says, God is my refuge. God is my pillar. While everything else seems to be shaking and turning into rubble, I can sing because I have a sure foundation. I, I, I think we need more singing Christians. We need more glad Christians. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a man that was literally part and in the concentration camps by put in there as a preacher of the gospel by Adolf Hitler said this, your life as a Christian, this is powerful, should make unbelievers question their disbelief in God. That is so true. That you are, even in times of stress, times of rubble all around you, that your, your life, your joy, your song will make atheists question their disbelief in God. A good friend of mine bought me and uh, bought for Cindy and I a pair of noise-canceling headphones for an overseas uh, trip that we were going to have. It was just such a special gift, and it was an awesome gift. And, and all I kept thinking about was, do these really work? There's so much noise. You have an engine on a plane. You have people all around you. There's conversations. Um, how do they work? And I was reading up how these noise-canceling headphones work. And what they said is that in the, in the headsets are tiny microphones that begin to pick up the ambient sounds all around you, all the noise that's going on from conversations to engine sounds, all these things, and then creates a sound that is exactly opposite, an anti-phase anti of the sound wave and cancels it out that the only thing you hear is the music coming in to that headphone, that, that, that anything on the outside, the microphones cancel so you can only hear what's going on on the inside. Folks, I'm telling you, there's so much confusing noise coming our way to students, universities, schools, um, from politics. I have to tell you, we need a place to drown out the noise. We need a refuge. I want to hear one thing today. God is my refuge. I want to hear one thing today. Everything else canceled out. God is with you. I'm so thankful. One of our elders here at Times Square Church, every single time he texts me, I look at my phone, his final phrase every single time, almost, it's almost there 100% of the time, he writes this, God is with you. You know what that does for me? Cancels out all the noise and realize, I realize one thing, that with God as my refuge, hallelujah, that I can be confident. Just like that text always goes, God is always with me. Here's the second thing that I want you to get down. This one is so important to me. I can count on God always making a way. And, and, th and this phrase that he tells you, there's a river, this phrase that's there. Because something interesting is mentioned in this song that we go from refuge to river. 
Here it is, Psalm 46.4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. One of the things that distinguishes the great cities of the world is that these cities have rivers right in the middle of it. London has the Thames. New York City has, has the East River or the Hudson River all around it. Paris has the Seine. Vienna um, has the Danube and, and Cairo, the Nile. The New Orleans has the great Miss, the mighty Mississippi. Great cities have great rivers except one of those great cities. Here it is, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then you come to Psalm 46. This is a city as dry as dust. And it says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's Jerusalem. Uh, he just said there's a, there's a river in the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Folks, listen, there's no river in Jerusalem. Some people go, well, what about the Jordan River? That's in Jericho, 54 miles away. It's outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. So my question is this, what river is making the city glad? It, it, remember, the story we're connecting this to, when Hezekiah realized that the, that the capital, Jerusalem, is surrounded by the greatest military force in the world, he does something genius, something that can only be inspired by God. He found a way to bring water underground. In fact, let me tell you how important this is, how groundbreaking this is. When it finishes talking about the end of his life, at his death, the final verse about Hezekiah's life in 2 Kings 20, 20. Listen to these words. Now, the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, who was a revival king and then all these great things, defeated this, this, this Assyrian army and all of his might and how he made, here it comes, folks, the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. That's it. That's Psalm 46, 4. The water comes in the city. Hezekiah when he knew the enemy was coming, proposed digging a long, narrow tunnel under the streets of Jerusalem to divert the water from the pool of Siloam and bring it under the city, outside the walls, but, but inside, well, outside the walls, there'd be no water. Inside the walls, a river is existing that never existed before. Hezekiah's tunnel is what they called it, over 1,700 feet long, and in fact, they consider it one of the greatest works of water engineering in antiquity. It was discovered again in 1838 by Edward Robinson that it actually exists, that there was a, there was a tunnel that brought water in from the outside. Many commentators believe that this is what the, the psalmist is referring to, that God enabled them to find a source of water to save a city, an underground stream to make the people of God in the city to go, God is providing for us. When the enemy surrounded the city, when the enemy surrounded the people of God, God is working under, underneath it even when you don't see it. This is, this is why I was excited when Freddie and, and Greg Thomas and the Times Square Church Choir started to sing the song Waymaker. And then it comes to that one part even when I don't see it, hallelujah, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. On the surface in Jerusalem, no water, but a big army. Below the surface, you can't see it, 
a river was flowing underneath the army while they're while they're holding them at bay thinking they're going to starve them out or, or 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 bring bring thirst to them because there's no water god says i gave a plan to a king to get water there. even when you don't see it god is working even when you don't feel it god is working there was a hidden river there was a secret spring a reliable source and a refreshing river that flowed right into that city and they didn't see it, but God was working. A river, there is protection, there is provision from God. I was reading the story of a, the revivalist John Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides um, that brought revival to all of the, um, the, the, the people that were there. But, but he wasn't received. John Patton and his wife weren't received when they first got there to the New Hebrides. But the revivalist spoken about of some of the great revivals in the last couple hundred years. One night, hostile um, natives surrounded the mission station, intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night while they were surrounded and knew that, that they were going to be killed. While they prayed during that night that God would deliver them, when daylight came, they were amazed that when they woke up, they didn't know what tomorrow will hold. They didn't know what was going to happen the next day. Remember the Psalm 46, it says like at daybreak is when deliverance begins to come. All of the attackers left. They, they don't know what happened until a year later. A year later, the chief of the tribe became converted to Christ. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief that what kept him from burning down their house and killing him and his wife. And the chief looked at him in surprise and said, we couldn't come near the house. We couldn't pass all those men, those huge men that surrounded your house. And Patton knew that no men or no human men were present. But the chief said he was afraid to attack because he saw hundreds, listen, hundreds of big men in shining garments, drawn swords, circling the mission station. Folks, I'm going to tell you who that is. Remember what Psalm 46 says? He's the God of angel armies. Or can I just remind you, one of those angels took out 185,000 Assyrians. And now they're circling about a, a house of a husband and wife in New Hebrides. Man, we, we serve a great God. Patton's river that flowed that he didn't even see was the army of angels. Or really just, just as he thought was that, that it could be over, he saw a river come underneath. It's like D.L. Moody said, if God is your partner, then make your plans big. He's going to be there for you. Let, let's finish with this. Not only am I confident that, that God is, is going to be with me, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I, I, I am also calm because God is always in charge. God is great. I, I was reading about a Philadelphia pastor who was once confronted by an atheist and it was one of the students that he taught in the class. It was a Christian professor. And one of the atheists told the, 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 the professor, the Christian professor, he said, for me to believe in your God, I have to have a God that I can understand. To which the pastor professor replied, God refuses to be that small. That's good. Psalm 46 is singing about a big God. Listen to it, starting in verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two, 
and he burns the chariots with fire. One of my power, favorite paraphrases in Psalm 46.10 goes like this. God, he says in Psalm 46.10, God says, calm down and learn that I'm God. That's one of my favorite things. That's verse 10. One says, cease striving, be still and know that I'm God. But one of my favorites is calm down and learn that I'm God. Calm down. Someone needs to hear that today. Calm down and learn and know that he is God. Just calm down. God's got this. Imagine writing this after seeing how God delivered your city from 185,000 encircling soldiers that already have wreaked just just all, all havoc on your neighbor now coming at you. I could just see the writer just going, calm down, relax. Know the God that you serve. God is in charge. And I need to remember that. When, when I relax... I'm able to soar where God wants me to go. That, that prophet at that time, Isaiah, was the one who wrote these words. Those who wait for the Lord are gonna gain new strength. They're gonna mount up, I love this, with wings like eagles. Mount up. Some versions say soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Isaiah, the prophet at this time, is writing these words. And they are so powerful because he's a, it's a reminder to say, you are to soar and not just simply fly. Let me explain why this is so important, why I think Psalm 46 is important. See, an eagle is, in a sense, built for soaring, not just simply flying. They soar from 100 up to 100 miles per hour with these eight feet span, um, wingspans. And seldom will you ever see an eagle exert strength and flap its wings. It, it, it soar, their soaring allows them to travel vast vast distances on very little energy. They go further, faster by soaring. And here's how it happens. Here's what God has done to allow this to happen. God created the surface of our planet with these things called these invisible columns of hot air called thermals. It rises up from the ground. It's like these updrafts. And eagles know how to find the thermals, how to catch the updraft, that in a sense, they're lifted higher and higher into the sky. You ready for this? By something, by the power of something else, not their own strength, but the power of something else lifts them higher. And in fact, they can rise up to 15,000 feet higher than even you and I could even see. And they don't fran frantically flap their wings. They simply stretch them out, catch an updraft, of God's thermals and takes them to the place. Listen to me, Psalm 46 is a thermal. Catch the updraft and soar to where God wants you to go. You can walk in calmness. You can walk in confidence because that, that this has become an, an updraft, a thermal for us. I'm told, I am told here, I can soar, I can calm down, I can relax and know God's in charge. God's the ruler. See, I believe you have two choices when there's trouble. You could fly like a dove or you could soar like an eagle. See, David was faced with flight or soaring. He was faced with flapping or soaring. I think every battle you face is like that. Do you, do you just go, God, I've got to catch an updraft? Do you borrow a song? Do you, do you simply say, God, this has to be my refuge. God is my refuge. God, you have a river. You have a source that I don't even know about. You're working even when I don't see it and I don't feel it. And God, I've got to know that I can calm down. I can relax and know that you're God. Because I think that we have to find that thermal to lift us higher or we just exhaust ourselves trying to flee. Listen to what David said when he faced trouble. 
In Psalm 55, David forgot the refuge. David forgot the river. David forgot God as the ruler. And he says this, give heed to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I'm distracted. In verse three, because of the voice of the enemy, no, no noise canceling. He's hearing the voice. Because of the pressure of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me. In anger, they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, here it comes. Do I soar like it even? No, I wish I had wings like a dove. I would just fly away and be at rest. And David has no idea that flying away is not gonna fix it. He's gotta catch a thermal. He's gotta catch an updraft to take him higher into a place. See, that's why I love what Corey Temboon said when you're facing what David did in Psalm 55. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still, hallelujah, and trust the engineer. God's gonna get you through. But everything else is shaking around you. An army has surrounded you. You're surrounded by accusations, surrounded by an army. It's not time to fly like a dove. It's time to soar like an eagle. I was reading this story that years ago, the Ocean Drilling and Exploration Company built one of the an offshore drilling platforms in the North Sea of Scotland, one of the most amazing structures ever built by man in the, in the oil drilling business. It was engineered to stand, get this, withstand 100 mile per hour, mile per hour winds, a hundred foot tall maverick wave, it can, it can face all of those things. And it was supposed to withstand anything thrown against it. Yet one morning as the tanker, the oil tanker was coming to siphon off the oil from the platform. Listen, the platform was gone, disappeared, nothing left. 76 people, souls died, 30 story high platform, gone sitting on the bottom of the ocean and nobody knows what happened. Nobody knows what force came against it. Listen carefully. Man's inventions can't keep you because whatever man builds, there's a storm coming that can take it down. Whatever man, if, if you begin to realize and say, I'll get in this bunker, I'll hold on to this, this money will hold me, all these things, man's inventions, man's ingenuity can't keep you, I need a refuge. I need to know that I have a river in God and I need to know that God's in charge. That's why I love what Psalm 112 says. Their circumstances will never shake them. They're speaking about the people of God and others will never forget their example. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. Listen to it. He says, steady and strong. They will not be afraid, but will calmly face Every, every foe until those foes go down into defeat. I caught a thermal in Psalm 46 that's taking me up higher and I'm going, I've got a refuge in God. The earth may shake around me. God is my refuge. And just when I think everything is coming against me and I've got no water in the city, God goes, I'll send underground springs to refresh you right in the midst of the battle. And just when you start to get worried, I'm gonna tell you to calm down and learn and know that he is still God and he is in charge. That's why we can soar. I'm not flying away. We're soaring going, God, we, got a, we caught the updraft of Psalm 46 today. See, you can't soar unless you know God, unless you trust God. And that means God having a relationship with God. What does that relationship look like? I said the word relationship, not religion, relationship. Relationship. 
relationship. See, Jesus describes what that relationship is about. Some of you are afraid of the future. Some of you are afraid of death. Some of you are afraid to even go out in public, though, though there's restrictions opening all over the world and in different places, even right here in New York City. There's some of you going like, I'm afraid to come out of my apartment, to come out of my home. I don't want to be with people. I've got a condition. And all of a sudden, a fear starts to hit you. And that's why I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's not a vaccine. There's not a, there, there, there is not a mask. There is not a, 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 a seclusion that can, that, can, that can keep us ultimately safe. There's only one person who can, and that's finding our refuge in God, in a relationship with God, which Jesus describes in John 3 as being born again. The most important phrase, it's the most important question I can never ask you. Have you been born again? Not, not, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. Pastor Tim, what do you mean by born again? Jesus said, unless a man, John 3, 3, Jesus' words, unless a man or woman is born again, they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus said, you must, John 3, 5, you must be born again. This, this is so important because what he's asking us to do, this phrase born again, we, we didn't make it up. These are Jesus' words. What he was saying was this, that just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? How does that, that relationship, I thought because I was in church or because I got baptized or I took communion or I'm watching a service or my parents were religious, I thought that was, that's all I needed to do. That's not what Jesus said. Those are all good things. That's not what Jesus said. I'm a good person. Great. That's not what Jesus said. You must be born again. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? I want to make it as simple as I can for you. I want to break it down into these letters, A, B, and C. Each one of those letters corresponding to a word that I think is so important for us to get. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner, that it's when I get honest with God, that all of us have a condition called sin. It can't fix it with a, a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor. We need help to fix it. The diagnosis is sin, and I have to admit that I'm a sinner. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. That leads us to the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. I can't, you can't fix yourself. I can't fix me. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross for me. Jesus' death for me was Jesus being my substitute, being my sin bearer. It was, he died the death I was supposed to die, lived the life I couldn't live, and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't even deserve. And finally, it's confessing him as Lord. That's a big word. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10, when the apostle Paul says that we have to confess him as Lord. It's a word that means master. You're in charge now. You have veto rights. You're in charge. Not of sun, just Sundays for an hour and a half. You're in charge of every day. You're in charge of Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. God did not send his son to die on the cross to get you to sit in a seat in a sanctuary or a theater here on 51st and Broadway. He sent his son. His goal was not simply to get you in church. His goal was to get you in heaven forever. Not on a Sunday, but forever. And that can happen right now. Today, you can be born again. Today, you can begin to calm down about the future and be still and know that he's God. Today, you can experience a river flowing through that you've never, a source, a river springing up. In fact, the Bible calls it, Jesus said, that new river coming is the the Holy Spirit in John 7. 
And he says, and you can be confident, God's gonna be your refuge. Even in the stress and distress of the times that we're going into, he says, this is what he says. He says, you can calm down, you can sing in the bunker and just go, God is my refuge. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It can happen right now. You could start a brand new journey with God right now. I'm not talking about joining a church or joining a denomination or religion. I'm talking about having a relationship with the living God, the God that becomes a refuge, the God that sends a river, and the God that is the ruler over this planet. Well, Pastor Tim, I want that. You cannot have that without Jesus because Jesus is the one that makes a way to God. Then, Pastor Tim, I want to start that today. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, wherever you are, I want you to pray a prayer with me right now. You may be sitting in a living room. You may be, sit, you may be getting ready uh, to, uh, on a subway. You may be getting ready to go on a trip at an airport, wherever you may be. Maybe you're getting ready to go on vacation and someone sent you this link. But today, something touched your heart and say, I want to start a relationship with God. I want, I want to be born again today. If that's you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. Maybe you pray it as a family. Maybe a, a mother and a daughter, a mother and her son are gonna pray this prayer. Would you pray this with me today? Come on, say these words. If you're able to, I want you to say them out loud with me. Here it is. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.